Good morning, friends. Jeremy started off the top of the hour celebrating. And so let's just keep the celebration going, all right? First of all, I'm, I'm aware that we have some of our youth in the room today, right? Because um, fall break. I hope y'all had a good one. Y'all ready to go back to school tomorrow? Oh, how did I know that was going to be the answer? Parents, are you ready for them to go back to school tomorrow? Yes, yes, okay. Uh, but I know that you are stuck over here with the grown-ups this week, and I'm sorry. We'll try to not make it too boring for you, okay? But I need you to know they put the new floors down over in the fellowship house this week, which means y'all been stuck down in the basement. We're hoping next week you get to come upstairs. It's very exciting. Yes, very exciting. Um, also, we have a couple that we need to congratulate in the room. We have Beth and Nick in the back of the room. Stand up, guys. Sorry. For just a second. I won't humiliate you too long, but Beth and Nick are <laughs> engaged, you guys. They're engaged. Yeah. So we're so excited for you guys, and we'll let you sit down now. But everybody make sure you make a big fuss over them after the service, all right? Um, as we get started today, I do want to play a little game. Um, I'm going to go ahead and confess up front. If you are under the age of 30, you are going to be at a distinct disadvantage in this game. Okay? So kids, I'm sorry. You're not going to help with this one. Um, but if you are above the age of 30, there is a good chance that you are going to recognize the voice that you are about to hear. So I need you to tell me whose tagline was this. And, and now you know the rest of the story. Who we got? Paul Harvey, right. Um, growing up as a kid, some of my most distinct memories, for whatever reason, are riding in the back seat of my uh, parents' beige Mercury Lynx. Y'all remember when Mercury made cars? <laughs> yeah. And uh, you might remember what the Lynx was like, but um, I'll have to confess, I was probably in the back seat without a seatbelt on down in the floorboard because kids, we didn't know better back then, okay? Wear your seatbelt, okay? Um, but I can remember that voice coming on over the radio and I would always get so excited because even at a young age, I would love to listen to the stories that he would tell. You know, he'd start weaving the story, giving all of these kind of obscure details and background knowledge that I'd never heard before. And then all of a sudden he would build up to this point where there would be this aha moment where he would finally reveal some familiar event or person that he had been talking about the whole time. And you just like gasp, like, oh, I get it now. Or I have this deeper and this richer understanding of something or someone that, that I had known before. Um, and that's when he would drop that famous tagline. And now you know Good job. Um, well, today I want to tell you the rest of a story that we started a few weeks ago. Um, it was the story of a guy named Levi. Do y'all remember Levi? He was the tax collector, also known as Matthew, right? Um, he was someone considered an extortionist, someone considered a traitor by his own people. He was the least likely candidate, but Jesus called him to be his disciple, right? Now, here's the pop quiz. Does anyone remember the little place that, that wasn't all that large in and of itself, but happened to be along this, this great Roman road where trade took place? What the name of that place was where, where this happened with Levi? Don't worry, first service didn't get it either. As a teacher, as a teacher I take it as a failure on my own part. But it was a little place called, what was it? 
Capernaum. Thank you, Scott Newman. A little place called Capernaum. And I have some pictures to remind us what this looks like. It's on the Sea of Galilee. Like I said, there was a major trade route that went through it. Um, But what you might not know about Capernaum is that after Jesus um, had kind of gone before the synagogue in his own hometown of Nazareth, and he had started talking and um, almost, almost got run off a cliff by his own people for saying that maybe, just maybe, the kingdom of God wasn't just for the Jewish people, but for the Gentile people as well. After that happened, he went and he resettled in Capernaum. Capernaum became home base for Jesus. Um, The book of Matthew talks about this being the place where his preaching and teaching ministry began. Like five or more of his disciples came from that place. And a lot of that early ministry of his took place in, in that city or that town and the villages surrounding it. However, in the beginning of Mark chapter 2 that we read earlier, it indicates to us that he had been away for some time, for a few days. And if we go back to read the rest of the story in Mark chapter 1, what we discover is this. Jesus, he had um, kind of attracted a lot of attention to himself, okay? Um, he had, had stirred things up in Capernaum. There were these crowds of people who were following him around. Some of the people, most of the people adored him, but there were already some people that were starting to abhor him as well because this is what had taken place. Um, he'd gone into the synagogue, Mark 1 tells us, and he'd sat down and he'd begun to teach. And as he taught, all the people were looking around in awe and they were like, this guy's different. He teaches like one with authority, not like these scribes and other religious leaders who were right there in the same room, right? We're sure they enjoyed that comparison that they were making. But if they weren't already in awe enough, what he did next was he wowed them by driving an evil spirit out of a man. And what happened after that was just like dominoes falling, right? Like people were in awe. Jesus goes to the place where he's staying, which was Peter's house, because Peter lived there in Capernaum. And uh, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then it says the entire town gathered outside the house. They had brought all of their sick, all of their demon-possessed before Jesus. And the result was what we'll call a hillathon, okay? As Jesus healed all the people that they had brought to him deep into the night. However, Jesus, you know, was recognizing that this big spotlight has now been placed on him. And he had come to do so much more than just be the local celebrity there in Capernaum. So he got up early the next day and he talked to his disciples and they kind of snuck out of town so that he could go and do the very thing that he had come to do in the first place. And that was to preach the good news to as many people as possible. So he goes to the nearby villages. He preaches there. Mark says that some time went by. A few days passed. And apparently, Jesus was ready to go back home, right? You know how it is when you travel. You get to that point where you're like, I just need to sleep in my own bed, right? Apparently, Jesus reaches that point. And um, and, and he's hoping, his disciples maybe, that the frenzy has died down. And it seems that somehow Jesus does make it back into Capernaum unnoticed, which like gets my curiosity going, right? Like, was there a disguise involved? Did the disciples create a diversion? You know, did he wait till nighttime and kind of sneak back in? But Mark, who likes to just give the facts and who has this very fast-paced gospel where he, you know, is just kind of rushing through it as you read it, he doesn't give us those kind of details. So we have to to, um, kind of imagine for ourselves, but... After somehow getting back into the town, eventually word gets out that Jesus is back home. 
And when it gets out, that word, it spreads like wildfire. The result is that so many people gathered inside the place where he was staying, which again was likely Peter's house, that there was literally no way to get anyone else in. They were packed in there like sardines, right? Um, They were shoulder to shoulder in in a space that that probably wasn't that large to begin with. Um, But scholars and um, archaeologists, um, they have identified this very spot where there's this big church in an octagon shape, actually, that's built over it. But they've identified this spot as the place that they believe to have been Peter's home. If you ever go to Israel and go to Capernaum, you can visit there as well. It's a little hard to see, but you can see the outline of a square, kind of rectangle there. That would have been the outline of of the house. Um, But in this space, uh, we have all these people so packed in that they're even in the doorways and they've spilled outside. It's a good thing there wasn't fire marshals back then, right? They would have broken this party up fast. But While they're all in there, Jesus is just teaching away. He's living out the mission for which he has come. But at the same time, there is a group of guys outside that is on a mission of their own. They had come because they had heard about Jesus. And they were hoping that Jesus could do one more time what he had done for so many other people. But not for them, for their friend. They had this friend who was paralyzed. He couldn't just get up and go and seek Jesus out on his own. And so they had devised a plan. They carried him on his mat, it says, which might better be translated his bed, the bed that he would have laid on every day. And they carried him um, together to Jesus. Um, We don't know how far they traveled to get to Jesus. Uh, But, I mean, just think about it. Carrying someone corner to corner on a little bed, you're going to be pretty exhausted no matter how short that distance might have been, right? And so imagine having carried him, gotten to the place where Jesus was staying, and realizing that there is no way to get in. You know, their hearts had to sink for a moment. But there was this urgency that these guys had. Instead of just giving up and taking the man back to where he always laid, instead of just sitting idly by and saying, well, maybe the crowd will disperse at some point, these guys, they decide that they are going to get creative. If there is not a door or a window or a way for for them to get in, then they're just going to have to create a new entrance. You see, homes from at this time in Capernaum, the way that most of them were built was they were one story and they had a flat roof. And then there were stairs or there was a ladder that would go up onto that roof. The width of the structures, like the one we saw earlier, they were kind of confined by the the size of the tree trunks that you could find to make the roof of the house. The trunks would be laid out or the pieces of wood would be laid out across the top of the house. And then um, the roofs were thatched with rush and they were dabbed with mud. And the result was actually a very, very sturdy structure. So sturdy, in fact, that this was kind of a part of their living space. They would go up on their roofs and they would do their work or they would go up there and sleep some nights. But on this particular day, for these four friends who needed to get to Jesus, the roof becomes another way in. They carry their friend up the steps and then they go to work and start to destroy this roof that they're on. I don't know why, and maybe you had a similar experience, like hearing this story in Sunday school, I always kind of imagined that it wasn't all that difficult for them to get through the roof. Like like there was hay there, and they like picked it up, and they moved it over, and they put the, the guy down. 
But what we need to realize is the truth that, that this was a major demolition job, you guys. The, the verb that is used here to describe what the friends did was to dig it out, which means this was a very noisy and a very dangerous project. Again, it makes me wonder, was, was Jesus able to, like, teach through all this pounding that was going overhead as they're digging through? Is there like debris falling on all the people who are crowded in there? Um, does someone, anyone, perhaps the likely owner, Peter, like go up on the roof and say, stop doing what you're doing? We have no idea because again, just the facts Mark doesn't fill us in on this. We have to use our imaginations, but it doesn't take much imagination to to be able to, to consider the excitement that had to fill those four men when suddenly they broke through that roof and they could see Jesus. Their desperate desire to get their friend before the one and the only person who could heal their friend left them totally unfazed, totally unfazed by the, by the awkwardness of the situation or the potential repercussions of their destruction, they needed to get their friend to Jesus, period. And they did. And as they lowered their friend down before him, listen to what Mark says. He says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, that might sound a little odd, especially to our, our modern ears. You know, like, why, why does Jesus say to this man who's paralyzed, your sins are forgiven? Why doesn't he just say to him, you're healed, right? But what we need to understand is in that day, in that time, in that place, in that particular culture, when someone who was sick or, or was suffering, the cause of that was assumed to be that they had done something to deserve it. Sickness and suffering was a, a form of punishment, they believed. And so people would have looked at this paralyzed man his entire life, and they would have wondered, what did he do to deserve this? What kind of sinfulness got him into such a state? But these words, you are forgiven. Jesus speaks them to make it clear to this man if that is what he believed, that if, if that was what he feared, if that is what he thought, that God was mad at him and was punishing him, that he need not be worried one bit. In essence, he says to this man with these words, son, God is not angry with you. Don't be afraid. You are forgiven. Now, the teachers of the law who were there, they did not get this at all. Instantly, they start thinking to themselves, and Jesus can read their thoughts, apparently. You know, they, they say, this is blasphemy. Nobody can forgive sins but, but God himself. They object to what Jesus is doing in this moment, still not recognizing that Jesus was God there in the flesh. And so to show them that he, in fact, did have the authority to do the things that God does, Jesus turns to the man, and this time he says, get up, take your mat, and go home, which the man promptly does. But both of these sets of words that Jesus speaks to the paralyzed man are important. We don't need to miss them. You are forgiven, and get up, and go on your way. 
Because taken together, what they do is they paint a picture of the type of healing that Jesus desires to bring to every person. Restoration, not just to our bodies, Restoration, not just to our souls, but rather restoration of us as complete persons. Jesus, the great physician who walked right out of that house and into town and called Levi out of all the things that had paralyzed him in his life. He desires to make every single one of us whole again. And that's the rest of the story that happened in Capernaum. The truth is, all of us are paralyzed in one way or another. Maybe not physically like that man, but we all have things that keep us from the full life that Jesus wants for us. You know, some of us here today have, we've done things that that we regret. We've done things that perhaps we, we cling on to and we play over and over and over again in our heads that keep us stuck, that keep us on our mats. And then there are some of us that have had things done to us that we would have never, ever chosen for ourselves. Things that have maimed us and scarred us. Some of us find ourselves paralyzed by perfectionism or by control or by um, insecurity or addiction to achievement. While others of us find ourselves paralyzed by words of criticism that were spoken about us and to us and over us. Some of us find ourselves paralyzed by grief that has overtaken us. Some of us find ourselves paralyzed by the abuse that we have suffered at the hands of others. We all have hurts. We all have hangups. We all have habits that do not serve us well. But hear the good news today. God is not mad at you. He is not angry. He wants to make you whole. However, this story, it also reminds us that we might need a little help from our friends to find the healing that we need. One of the great lies of our culture that keeps us stuck, that keeps us paralyzed, that keeps us down on our mat is that we have to do things all by ourselves, right? That we don't need one another, that to truly achieve anything, that, that we can't have anybody else's help. But the truth is, at times, we are all going to need friends that are willing to carry us and place us before Jesus. There are going to be times in all of our lives when we are going to need their faith to help heal us. Um, I know I've told this story before, And uh, Wayne himself towed it to some extent while he was still with us. But for those of you who are newer around here, you might not know that um, three years ago, next month, our pastor, Wayne Hunter, here at the Greenwood campus, passed away from cancer. Uh, From the beginning of the time that he was diagnosed, he knew that his prognosis was not good. However, he committed himself to like going through all the treatment um, and, and to praying that God would heal his body from this disease. However, he did not walk a single step of this journey by himself. Along with his family, you guys, this congregation, you all came up and you all picked up a piece of his mat and you carried him before Jesus again and again and again. You carried him with your prayers You carried him with your encouragement. You carried him by wearing Alabama red shirts with a big Alabama A on it. And that's not love. I don't know what is. 
You even carried him by, and people knew here, y'all don't know this, but like there was an epic music video made right here in the sanctuary of our church as you guys danced to and lip sang um, to one of his favorite songs by his favorite artist, the great Taylor Swift, which was a big surprise to many. Um, Shake it off. We shook it off together. But when it became clear that the cancer was overtaking his body, and that the treatments weren't doing what we had hoped, he, uh, he made it clear. He made it clear that while he was not getting the miracle that he and that all of us had prayed for, that he had gotten a different miracle. The miracle of the love that he experienced through you that healed so many of the wounds that he had acquired over the course of his life. In fact, he said that that when it really came down to it, he went and traded the miracle that he got for the one that he had prayed. You guys, there is power. There is power in us carrying one another before Jesus. God so often works through the presence and the prayers and the faithfulness of the people that he has placed around us to bring healing to our lives. Here at Broadway, it is our dream to be a community of growth where hurts are healed. We want to be a community of people that are willing to break a sweat and dig through roofs to bring one another before Jesus, the only one that we can have confidence in that can heal us. Of course, we have ministries in place to help us do this. You know, we have our prayer ministry that faithfully prays over all the requests that you share. We have our Stephen ministers that walk beside people through particularly difficult times in their lives. We have the pathway ministry and recovery groups and support groups where we can show up and we can be honest and vulnerable and real and know that we have people there to support us. But beyond these programs, our dream is to be a place, a community of people where We're seeking healing for one another. It's just who we are. It's what we do every day, all the time. But here's where it starts. It starts with each of our willingness to admit that we need Jesus and we need one another. Try as we may, we cannot heal ourselves. And so let me ask you today, what is paralyzing you? What's keeping you stuck? What's keeping you on your mat? What's keeping you from the full life that Jesus so desires for you to enjoy? And if you've been trying to heal all by yourself, who is it that can take you and help carry you before Jesus? But I don't want us to stop there either. (laughs) Who is it that also might need you to come and help carry them before Jesus as well? I have to wonder how many people that once paralyzed man went and brought to Jesus so that they could discover healing for themselves, because that's so often how it works. You know, we begin to experience healing in our lives and we can't help it. We have to turn around and bring others so that they can come and find that same healing we have discovered for ourselves. Through Jesus, we become what Henri Nouwen um, calls wounded healers. And this is what he says. He says, nobody escapes being wounded. Sorry, guys. We are all wounded people, whether physically, emotionally, mentally, or spiritually. The main question is not how can we hide our wounds so that we don't have to be embarrassed, but 
How can we put our woundedness in the service of others? When our wounds cease to be a source of shame and become a source of healing, we have become wounded healers. And so that's what I would like to invite us to do today. I'd like to invite us to become a community of wounded healers, to become a community of people who are willing to admit that we have woundedness, to become a a community of people who are willing to admit that we need Jesus and that we need one another, and a community of people willing to take our woundedness and put it in the service of others. Um, In the Bible, people who were sick, people who needed healing, they were often anointed with oil because oil has healing properties. And so today is a symbol of, of the healing that Jesus wants to give each of us. I want to invite you to be anointed with oil. But to help us remember that each of us not only has healing offered to us, but that we are called to carry one another before Jesus. After you're anointed, I'd like to invite you to turn and to anoint your neighbor. Now, I know this might get a little awkward, okay? It's all right. We'll figure it out. It can't be any more awkward than somebody digging through the roof, right? 